0: Good morning. How are you today? Okay, we got some goods and some greats. That sounds all right. It's good. Well, I welcome you here and also everyone who's part of our online church family welcome you as well. We're excited to have you with us and um, especially we are five weeks into our Believe series and uh, we are uh, excited about the things that we're Learning through this series. Now, I want to do a quick review to make sure that you're learning the things that we are studying, and um, so we want to do a quick quiz with our Kahoot app. So, if you want to go to grab your smartphone and go to Kahoot.it, then um, we can uh, play this little quiz together. And um, so, just grab your your cell phone, go to Kahoot.it, and we will do this quiz. All right, so the number when you get to the website is 828 496 828-496 and 5 at the end. So that's 828 4965 5 Oh, looks like we've got several people already coming in, joining us, that's great. Now, these are five questions for five weeks, and uh, they start easy, and they get hard, and um, of course, you get points for getting them right, but you also get points for being quick. And so if you're quick and smart, well, then you're really going to do well today with this. So, okay, we've got lots of people in, and there'll be probably more joining us yet, so I think we're going to get going here on this wonderful quiz. Okay, are you guys ready? Here we go. three, two, one. First question. The belief statement from week two: "I believe God is involved in and blanks about my daily life." Does He wonders about your daily life? He cares about your daily life, he worries about your daily life, or he rolls his eyes about your daily life. (laughs) All right, so red triangle is wonders, and blue diamond is cares, and yellow circle is worries, and rolls his eyes is the green square. Let's see what we've got for results. Everyone knows that he cares about their daily life. That's a win. All right, I'm excited for that. And the fastest one was Quick New, Gnu. new or Gnu? Ah, I can't tell. One of those two. All right, which Myers-Briggs personality profile does Pastor Kurt share with Batman? This is from last week's sermon on identity. So is it I-N-T-J-E-S-F-P-H-E-R-O or R-O-T-F-L? Which personality profile does Pastor Kurt share with Batman? (laughs) Well, most people got it right, INTJ, and there's a good sprinkling of people who thought he's more of an extrovert, and those who just had fun with the answer. So thanks for playing along and having fun with that, and our quick, how do you say it, new or gnu? Gnu. Our quick gnu is still at the top of the leaderboard with Mountain Dove nipping at his hooves. I believe a person comes into right relationship with God by doing more good things than bad things, attending church and reading the Bible, God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, helping others, and giving to charity. So four different answers. How do people come into a right relationship with God? All right, 35 of you said, it's God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's the belief statement um, from week three in salva- the salvation. And there's our leaderboard. Amazing llama is catching up to the quick gnu and lucky fox and mountain dove. They're also in there too. Here's our fourth question. Fill in the blanks in order. May the grace of blank and the love of blank and the fellowship of blank be with you all. It's our verse from the very first week So, is it the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, and God in order, or is it God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God, or the Lord Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit? That was hard to read. All right, so which one do you think is the, how do they fit in order? Wow! Five of you got it right. It's a very tricky one. I had to have one for smart people in there. But the right answer is the Lord Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit. And probably only if you're memorizing the scriptures would you have known that one. So good job for that. Lucky Fox has moved into the lead with Snowy Kitten coming up second. Quick Gnu's in third. Amazing Lamb is also there. Last question. The topics for the first five weeks of the Belief series have been... Love, personal God, salvation, Bible, fruits of the Spirit. Or God, personal God, salvation, Bible, identity in Christ. Or love, personal God, salvation, Bible, identity in Christ. Or God, personal God, salvation, Bible, and fruit of the Spirit. Wow. Who knows this? Wow, 17 of you got it right. That's awesome. And uh, God, personal God, salvation, Bible, and identity in Christ has been are five. So a quick stork gets the bronze medal. Amazing llama gets the silver. And in first place we've got snowy kitten. Snowy kitten. Is there a snowy kitten in the house? Oh, good job, snowy kitten right up front. Congratulations. You're the quickest and the smartest of us all this morning. You can brag about that all week. That's exciting. Yes, so I really want us to catch these first five weeks. By the way, the first five weeks are all vertical relationship. They're all relationship with God. The next five weeks, including what I'm going to share today, are all horizontal. They're all about our relationship with people. So the first five weeks were all relationship with God. Let me do a quick review. We started the first week with asking the question, who is God? And the answer, the belief statement is, I believe the, the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then that scripture that was up there today, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. In the second week, we talked about how God is a personal God. Does God care about me, we asked? And the answer, I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. So here's the verse. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121, 1-2. The third week, we're talking about salvation. How do I have a relationship with God? I believe a person comes into right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9. And then the fourth week, how do I know God and his will for my life? And the answer is the Bible. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and actions. And 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then last week, Pastor Kurt took us through identity in Christ. Who am I? I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, John 1.12. All of that is talking about our vert- vertical relationship with God. And today, we want to move into the horizontal So if we come back to the scriptures that were read by Linda and Gail at the beginning of the service, I just want to walk through those again. God makes a promise to Abraham that he'll bless the whole world through his descendants. In the Old Testament, God was in this ongoing relationship with Abraham's descendants, which were the nation of Israel. And there's story after story about the nation of Israel that are they're pointing stories. They're stories that point forward to the Messiah who's yet to come, who is Jesus. And as they point to Jesus, we we come to understand that this promised blessing that's going to come through Abraham's descendants is going to come through Jesus. Jesus comes, he's born as a descendant of Abraham, and he does the work God the Father calls him to do. He dies a sacrificial death on the cross. He defeats sin and death by rising from the dead. And then he goes to return to the Father. And as a result of all of this, this blessing that God promised to come through Abraham's descendants. It becomes reality in the world. People can experience the blessing of being restored into a right relationship with God. And when Jesus was with his disciples, he told them that he was promising to build an unstoppable community of people to carry this blessing to the world. And he called those people the church. God's desire was to make this church from all nations and to go to to all nations of the world. And that they would share a new life together following Jesus. This new community, again, would be called the church. You know, in the New Testament, uh, the word church is used three different ways. In none of those ways is it ever used to describe a building. It's so common today, people say, well, I'm going to the church, and they mean the building. But that's not how it was used in the New Testament. It was always used to describe people. So it could be used to describe the global church, which is, means everybody on planet Earth who is a follower of Jesus. Or it could be used, or it was used in the New Testament, to describe a, um, a city church or a location church. So you'd say uh, uh, the church in Moose Jaw. Everyone in, in Moose Jaw who is a follower of Jesus. Or it could be used to describe a local church, like a church who meets in someone's house, or, or a church like Hillcrest. Right, We're a local church. And so those are the three ways the word church is used in the New Testament, but never is it ever used to describe a building. It's always used to describe a people. And so Jesus promises these people that they'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit to take to the whole world the blessing of being restored into right relationship with God. And then in Ephesians 4, that final passage that Linda and Gail read, the people who make up this church are meant to grow in unity and maturity, and to get uh, better and better equipped as they go along as each part does its work. So how will God accomplish his plan in the world? Uh, That's the question for today. How will God accomplish his plan? And I I, want to invite you to read the belief statement with me. Even if you're not sure if you believe it, I want you to read it with me. Let's just read it together. I believe... Oh, let's start again. Let's start again. I believe... The church is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on earth. And then let me share the verse that goes with it. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That's Ephesians 4.15. You know, Jesus made a really remarkable statement when he talked about the church. I mean, when he was talking to the disciples who would form the church and be the church. And uh, it's found in John 14, to 13. Let me read it to you. It says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus had done a lot of miraculous things. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's amazing that Jesus said that as his followers we will do the same things that Jesus did. That's a pretty tall order because he did some pretty amazing things. But then he says we will do even greater things than these. I mean, that, gets, that really expands the imagination, doesn't it? To say, what? Greater things? How could we possibly do greater things than Jesus? So a few different ways you could think of it. One is, that maybe it's greater numerically. A lot of, actually, scholars I read this week, because I was sort of digging into this verse more, they said this. They said, well, now that it's not limited to just Jesus in a three-year time span in a 100-kilometer radius, which is pretty much where he lived... Now it's done by, now the church is more, can do more things by more people in more location over thousands of years. So you end up with a greater total number of things that point to God, that people are doing, than Jesus did. So when Jesus said, greater things will you do, you're talking about, well, numerically that's true. What an incredible huge influence the like there's a couple billion people who call themselves followers of jesus now some are very committed and some are maybe i'd say very casual about calling themselves christians and i don't know who's which but still there's a lot of people so it maybe it's just greater numerically that's what a lot of scholars actually uh, that i read said this week i want you to consider a few other options so maybe it's collectively people will do greater things than jesus jesus did things like walking on water, he fed 5,000 people with few loaves and fishes, he raised the dead perhaps in the last 2,000 years since, Christ, since Jesus died and went to be with the Father, these kind of miracles have happened in the church or by the church all over the globe and maybe even greater things so what's greater than feeding 5,000? Well, maybe, maybe someone fed 20,000 with a few loaves and fishes. Maybe, maybe instead of raising someone from the dead, maybe someone raised a whole family from the dead. I don't know. Um, maybe I don't know what's better than walking on water. I, I have to think about that one. Maybe someone did something else It's cooler than that, more amazing than that. I don't know. But it's very possible that if you took all the, mir- the biggest miracles done by Christians in the last 2,000 years, you might get a list that's greater than what Jesus did. That's another option. But let me give you two more. This one really stretches your faith. And this is just simply, each one of us can do greater things. Whew. Man, you feel stretched by that? Does that feel like, whoa, I, you know, it, I, I can do these kind of things? I can do these kind of things? I'll tell you how I was stretched one day. I got a phone call. I was a brand new youth pastor in Nippon, Saskatchewan in my early 20s and uh, you know, I usually didn't even answer the phone because it probably wasn't even that competent. But anyhow, I picked it up that day and this is the, the conversation I had. Uh, it was a lady on the phone, never met her before. She said, uh, um, it's Pastor Don there. And I said, Pastor Don? I said, oh, no, well, you know, Pastor Don was the pastor of that church like uh, over 10 years before that. He'd moved away. So he didn't live there anymore. So I just, I thought, well, this is a lady who hasn't connected with our church for a long time. She's asking for a guy who hasn't been here for a decade. So I said, nope, Pastor Don has moved, he's moved away. And um, yeah, he's gone. And she said, well, are you a pastor like Pastor Don? And I was, a, I was a pastor. So I was like, okay. And then I thought, like Pastor Don? Well, we're different people, but we're from the same denomination, probably have some similar theological understandings and, and probably do things very similar. I said, sure. I said, yes, I'm a pastor like Pastor Dawn. She said, oh, good, because the last time my husband died, he prayed for him and he came back to life. I mean, you've ever had a moment where you said something and you wished you could have took it back? That's how I felt right then. I was like, "Oh, maybe I'm not a pastor like Pastor Don." I didn't say that. I just was like, "Oh, okay." And then she said, "So I'm at the hospital right now. Will you come?" What do you say? I said, oh, "Okay." And I hung up. And I was like, "What am I? Oh, what have I got myself into?" So I'm starting to think, "Okay, I went to Bible college, which where was the class on raising people from the dead? I don't remember." <laughs> Uh, maybe I skipped that. Maybe I took choir instead or something. I should have took that class. Why didn't I take that class? And so then I'm thinking, okay, and then, and then I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to go to the hospital, and this lady's expecting, oh my. So the hospital's not far from the church in that small community, and as I started to drive, I realized I've only got about two minutes here to confess all my sins and to ask God to have mercy on me. <laughs> in this situation. Because what if God does want to raise someone from the dead? What if God does want to do something great? And what if the, the weak link is me? And so all the way there, I just prayed and called out to God, and Lord, I'm, I'm not ready for this. You've got to make me ready. I don't know what to do. I, 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 I just, I shouldn't have answered the phone, Lord. Anyhow, I get to the hospital and uh, I, I'm, I'm escorted towards the room and to my great delight, the husband is still alive. <laughs> and I think she wanted me there just in case he did pass away. Then I could, you know, bring him back. But he didn't die. And so I was, you know, you sound, well, you should have been more excited if he was dead because you could have done a miracle. No, I was, I'm just telling you my real feelings. I'm not trying to tell you that I was super spiritual. I was just, but it stretched me. I mean, that two-minute drive was the most... Honest two minutes of my life. God, I didn't know this was coming for me. I didn't I didn't think I I didn't know I'd ever be in this situation and I was really reckoning with the fact that it was going to be me in front of maybe doctors and nurses and a woman who had great faith that pastors can bring people back from the dead praying for God to do much greater things than I ever anticipated. You know, some scholars say this part isn't true. Some would say this. I don't want to eliminate this as the potential proper interpretation of this passage because I, don't, I, I want to live with greater faith and I would want you to live with greater faith too. Sometimes I pray for people because they, just because they ask me to. I'm a pastor, so I get that one. And other times I pray for people because they have a felt need that I can't do anything about. You know, some people will tell me what's going on in their life and I, sometimes I can meet that felt need practically. You know, they need a few bucks or, or they need some advice or uh, they need some encouragement or, or they need a ride somewhere. You know, it's just really practical something I can do. Or I, I have a guy who can help them. I have a resource or a network or whatever. Sometimes I can meet that felt need in a very practical way. And other times there's nothing I can do but pray. And so I do. I pray for people. I say, well, you know, I got nothing that can, that I can't produce something that can help you, but I can pray for you. Will, would you be willing for me to pray for you. And you know what, even when I've asked people who aren't Christians, who aren't followers of Jesus, they wouldn't say that they are. I've never had anyone that I can remember who's ever turned me down for prayer in that uh, situation. Maybe one will come to my mind, but I, generally the, the ter- trend has been people say yes. And then there's times where it's like God himself is prompting me to pray for people. And I've had some and shared some of those stories here with the church sometimes where it's like I sort of have this thought come to my mind, pray for this person. And it's not the kind of scenario where I would naturally just volunteer to pray, but I feel it's an obedience to God to step in and say, I think I'm supposed to be praying for you. Could you be okay with that? And they, and they, You know what? As a result of that, I've seen some stuff happen. I haven't raised anyone from the dead. But I've seen some stuff happen. I've seen some things that have hugely boosted my faith to believe for greater things. I said this, I think I shared this even last, uh, or two weeks ago, but my mom said in 85 years of experience, she's seen more miracles happen for people who pray and ask for them than for people who don't. And so... My mom lives that out in real time. She didn't just preach that. She practiced it. I can't tell you how many times she phones me and she says, "Uh, Stephen, I've just got a few moments here. She phones me and tells me she just has a few moments, which is strange, right? It's sort of like, oh, yeah, okay. I've only got a couple moments, but would you quickly pray for this in my life? And she's not praying for me because I'm a pastor or asking me because I'm a pastor. She would ask any of her kids to do this. Even when some of her kids are sort of teetering on whether they're walking with God or not, she'll phone them and say, I need you to pray for me right now. (laughs) She pulls us back into... Kingdom activity, even when we're, we're straying. It's, it's amazing. So, greater things. Here's the last way. Greater things could refer to doing things in a greater era. I've never considered this until just recently. I've been wrestling with this this week, this concept. But up until Jesus went away, the Holy Spirit had not come on sons and daughters and all the different ones that they're described, so the Holy Spirit would come on. Like the, whole, the church really began on the day of Pentecost. The arrival of the Holy Spirit coming on the young and the old and the male and female. Before that, in the Old Testament they'd come, there'd be prophets, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they'd prophesy. Or there'd be priests and the Holy Spirit would come and kings. It seemed like all these leadership positions they got sort of like a, a moment of the Holy Spirit in which they are activated but now the Holy Spirit is coming to indwell people. It's a different era. It's a different era. And it could be said, it's a greater era. Now, I want you to think. Before, people's faith in God in the Old Testament, you say, well, how did people get right with God in the Old Testament? They believed God, and it was credited to them as a righteousness. They were, they were seen as righteous because they believed God. So Abraham didn't know the Jesus would be Jesus. They'd be called Jesus. They knew there's promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament. But Abraham didn't know. He just believed God about what he said about the future. So he was basically right with God because of anticipation of something yet to come. There was a solution coming to, to humanity's sin problem from our separation from God. And they anticipated it. That's what that era was like. But then Jesus came, and he lived, and he died on our behalf. And he made it possible for us to come come to God not on the basis of sacrifice and of priests and all that system, but just we could boldly approach the throne of grace based on what Jesus had done, trusting in what Jesus had done. It's a brand new era. You know what an interesting thing Jesus said? He said in Luke seven twenty eight. he said, I tell you, among those born of women is no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now this is a discussion he's having with his disciples and and they're talking about John the Baptist who was Jesus' cousin who was like the last of the, he was the very last of the guys pointing towards Jesus yet to come. In fact, he lived at the same time as Jesus' cousin and he was just barely older than Jesus but he lived out in the desert and people came out and flocked to him and and he spoke the truth to them and they became his disciples and then Jesus came along and he said, "Whoa, here's the one I've been telling you about. I've been pointing towards And then uh, he got in trouble with Herod because he criticized the king Herod for taking his brother's wife and that was wrong. He spoke out about it and he got imprisoned and then he got his head cut off. And so here's Jesus and the disciples and Jesus says, nobody is greater than John the Baptist among those born of women except for everybody in the kingdom of God. Even the least The one who's the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Well, it could be that because everything that was done before Jesus was pointing in anticipation of what was yet to come and everything after Jesus was pointing back to what was already done. Let's put it this way. Someone kidnaps you. They're holding you for ransom and you don't know if anyone's going to pay. You think, I'm dead. I hope someone pays the ransom. And then... You can have one of two messengers come to you. The fir- they're both good news messengers. The first messenger comes, and I-, I want you to choose amongst these two messengers. You can have a messenger who will come and say, the ransom is coming. It's not clear when, but it will come. That's good news. That's better than no news, right? You can have that, or you can have the second message, which is the ransom has been paid. You're a free person. Oh, that's much better news, isn't it? That's the difference between now and before. Before it was like, the ransom's coming. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. God's solution for our separation and and being out of relationship with him is coming. But now it's like, he's come. He's paid. It's clear. Now it's just a gift of God that we need to receive and apply apply to our lives. He's already done the work. It's a new era. And now... Jesus has deputized the church. Every person who claims him as Lord, who says, you're my leader. You're the one. I needed your forgiveness. I've accepted it. And I'm accepting your leadership in my life. Now those ones, they can go and spread this message to the whole world. The blessing of being brought into right relationship with God is available to the whole world. And there's a people group dedicated to getting that message out. They're called the church. So greater things could refer to the great opportunity we have in this greater era. We're in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So you say he's come and done the work so that you could be right with God, and he'll come again and take you to be with him forever. It's a great era to live in. It's a great time of greater things. You know, in the Bible, there's all sorts of metaphors for the church, and and um, Kurt mentioned one last week I thought he did a great job explaining being adopted into sonship. I thought that was so great because it's sort of a funny thing. He said, he said um, that even women should really grab onto the statement, being adopted to sonship. And I thought, well, that's sort of strange because, you know, girls don't normally think of themselves being a son. But it would have made a lot of sense in the context of the day because if you were to tell... Um, a girl that she was going to get a great inheritance, she'd say, Oh, you mean a girl's inheritance? Because the guys got the big inheritances, especially the firstborn son in the Jewish culture, got the biggest inheritance, the biggest slice of the pie. So the reading of the will, it wasn't an even distributing of stuff. That firstborn boy was getting the the most, and then other boys would get the next most. So it's sort of but to say to in that culture, to say, you're all adopted into sonship, right? Adoption in that era too had a often was different, right? So you might have a very rich person who had no heir. no, They didn't have any children. So then, as he was getting older, he and his wife would talk, and they'd say, well, what about this guy? They would actually not just choose a child, but they'd choose an adult. Can you imagine if you are just walking the streets of Moose Jaw one day, and someone, a very affluent-looking couple, you know, slows down, and their Rolls Royce, and they sort of get out, and they say, you know, we're looking for someone to inherit all that we have. Can we adopt you? And you're like, well, I'm 48 years old. You want to adopt me? I'm not that cute anymore. They're like, that, you're just fine. You know, we just need someone to manage our estates and lands and our vacation properties and our, our yachts. It's a bit of a fleet. Could you do that for us? I suppose I could find some time. You know. Right? That's, that was what it was like. Adopted into sonship means that all that God has is yours. So that would have been uniquely powerful for women to hear that in that time, to say, you're adopted into all the blessings that the firstborn son can have. All of it is yours. Now, on the flip side, there's another metaphor that's a little hard for guys, and that's the metaphor that the church is the bride of Christ. Ah, most guys are not dreaming about being in a wedding dress, so that doesn't work for us in some ways, right? But there's a couple, it's not, the metaphor doesn't mean you are a girl. The metaphor means that there's some things about a bride that are powerful when it, talking about Jesus and the church. Is it, so it's, it's, the metaphor is that Jesus is the groom and, and the church is the bride. It, it's telling you how much he loves the church. That's the first thing you need to get, how much he loves the church. You say well the church is not always doesn't always do everything they're supposed to do and they're not always that great and there's you know yeah that's true he loves the church warts and all absolutely is in love with the church these are he he loves the church the second thing is he's preparing the church because okay so imagine another scenario man and a woman they get engaged and then after they get engaged, just after that, she says, Yes, I'll marry you and let's get married in a year. Yeah, let's do that. That's great. It's going to be awesome. And then he says, Oh, I've got a couple things I haven't told you yet. And she's like, Whoa, what haven't you told me? I haven't told you that I'm really, really, really rich. Oh, okay. I guess that's not too bad. Yeah. And oh, and the other thing is our family's so traditional. Oh, really traditional? Yeah. We have this tradition that in the year leading up to the wedding, that the wife cannot work. She just has to spend all her time making herself beautiful for the wedding day. So I know it's sort of hard to break this to you now, but we've got spas booked for the whole year, pedicures, manicures, the whole thing, a masseuse on call all the time uh, whenever you need them. You're supposed to mainly sleep, go for like nice walks, eat very good food, and just relax, just take out all the stress for a year, Sorry to break it to you like this. The other part of the metaphor of being the bride of Christ is that he's beautifying the bride. He's preparing or adorning the bride, as it it says in some places. He's adorning the bride for himself. So when you come to Christ, it's not like you came to Christ based on your own good works. We learned that in the last few weeks, right? You don't come and say, man, God will accept me because... I'm pretty great. No, God, we're sinners in need of a Savior, in need of forgiveness. But then, he doesn't just leave us in that place where he finds us. He begins to do a beautiful work of transformation in our lives. And he does that not just in our lives, but everyone within the church. So we're adopted into sonship, again, something for girls to consider that's a little different. Adopt bride of Christ, a little bit weird for guys. And then finally it says, we're the body. Which tells us we're vitally connected to each other. We're vitally connected to each other. I mean, which body part would you dispose of if you had to? You say, none. I want them all. I don't even want to lose my little toe. I just want everything. I don't want any part, you know. And I want them all. And all of us are vitally connected and indispensable we're different but we function as one body first Corinthians 12 12 to 14 just as a body though one has many parts but all its many parts form one body so it is with Christ for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles slave or free we were all given the one spirit to drink and so that the body is not made up of one part but many but many now being a part of the church is an interesting thing. I, I don't know how it happened for you, if, you're, if you, you know, see yourself as part of this church body. or I don't know how, how you got here, right? I, I imagine, how could it happen for someone today? Like, so let's say I run into someone on the streets of Moose Jaw, you know, I'm out and about, and, I, and, they, and they say, Steve, I, I just got to tell you, I believe. I believe. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm a child of God, and he is my father. I'm trusting Jesus that his forgiveness and leadership is what I need. So I'm going, wow, they just clarified their commitment to Christ. That's awesome. That's great. It's a great place to begin. So I might respond and say, that's great. Then you know what that means, don't you? That means spiritually, I'm your brother. And also, you're connected to a great big family of God that's all around the world that are your brothers and sisters. In, in God, because if he's your, he's your father and he's, and he's my father, then we're related spiritually. And then they go, really? Oh, I guess I am. I have spiritual siblings all over the world? Wow, that's great. I love that. I love that. I, I, I'm embracing that. 100%, I embrace that. I'm a part of the global family of God. That's great. It's not just me and the Father. It's me and my spiritual siblings as well. That is awesome to know, right? And so you say, whoa, it's like something just happened here. They, they went a step further than clarifying their commitment to Christ. They clarified their commitment to the family of God or the body of Christ, the global church. And sometimes people a big, a big part of that can often be baptism, where people say, hey, just in case you didn't know, I'm getting dunked today in water to signify that I belong to Jesus. If you didn't know that before now, I'm making it clear. But then there's other steps that people take, right? Moose Jaw has a lot of great churches. I might say to that person, you know, hey, there's a lot of great churches in Moose Jaw. I can recommend some if you're looking to uh, get connected to a local church. Remember I said the church uh, in the New Testament is talked about the global church or the church in a city or a local church. I said, I can help you get connected to a local church. I can recommend some. In fact, I'd love it if you'd come to mine, but you don't have to. I could tell you other good ones that are closer to your house or whatever works for you. So, But I'd love for you to join me at Hillcrest if you want. Come on Sunday or or come to a life group. That would be a great way to get a connection. Maybe after a while of doing that, they say, I love it. I love being connected to this local church. I want to know more about it where can I ask my questions on how it works and its history and its leadership and its goals and where we come from and where we're going I got a lot of questions I'd like to ask so some of you have signed up today for the membership class it's after the service you're gonna ask questions you're gonna get to ask those kind of questions from the elders and myself and our board chair well will all be there um, if you if you didn't sign up you can still come you can still come you just just wait after the service and and you can be a part of it um, but what, is, what happens in a membership class? It's a chance to understand the local church. And, and it's, a, it's time to ask that question. Am I committed to this local church? So I'm committed to Christ. And, I'm, and I have, I'm committed to his body. I'm a part of it. I embrace that idea. And now, am I committed to the local church? When people take out church membership, they're clarifying their commitment to the local church. They're saying, just in case you didn't know. Right, so just in case you didn't know, Steve, I'm a believer. Awesome. You're connected to Christ. Just in case you didn't know, church or global church, I'm, I'm getting baptized today to let you know I'm, I belong to Jesus and you're my brothers and sisters. And then just in case you didn't know, church, Hillcrest, I'm with you in the tasks that we've got to do and the things we're trying to accomplish and the goals that we have. You know, I, I've had many people personally tell me they've got my back. Right, and um, through the years, or, or to encourage me in different ways, and I, or I'll think that person they would really be great. And I, if I come to a great big crisis or a great big uh, challenge as a church or, or or for me personally, that's who I would call on. So I, man, I'm so blessed in the church. We really are. It's an embarrassment of riches, really, the community that we have in the church. But you know what? If I ever got to like a mega crisis, and I said we need. A response with a whole bunch of people. You know who I'd call on? I'd call on the people who clarified their commitment to the church. And it's, it's for a very practical reason. I'll tell you why. Because I can't, in a crisis, remember everyone who said that they're with me. But I can, in a crisis, pull up a list of people who said that they're with me. Right? And so it's like clarifying we're with you. You know, sometimes people talk about membership like it's—it's it's, it's got a whole bunch of benefits. I think that's probably the wrong way to go about it. It really has more responsibilities than benefits. It's more like a, a team trying to accomplish a cause than it is like a country club with a lot of, you know, a lot of perks. But I think for a lot of people, we're wired for that, aren't we? We're wired to make a difference. In fact... We're wired that way because Jesus wants us to make a difference. He wants us to do greater things. Called us to do greater things. I want to tell you just three tremendous truths about being part of the, a body of Christ. Number one, in the body of Christ we belong to a family focused on all the things of God which are good and right and healthy. Philippians 4, 8, 9 says it this way. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice. That's the church. It's focused around the good things that God is about and that God wants to do in our lives. And when that community comes together around these good things... You know, if there are people who are filling their minds with all the good things about God, that is a pretty encouraging environment. Now, some people would say, well, I don't know if that's true, and probably out of a couple reasons. One, they've never experienced it, right? So I meet people who I realize are living very individualized lives, or maybe they have some sort of community, but it isn't a community that's being transformed like the church is. It isn't a community that's growing in maturity. It isn't a community that's growing in unity. And so they would say, well, I've never I don't know if that's true. I don't know if the church is really all that wonderful. And I can I tell them it is pretty wonderful. When the church gets it right, it's it's like no it's like nothing else. It's amazing. And some other people would say, "Well, I I've, I've been in churches and I've had a bad experience." And that's absolutely true. Lots of people have bad experiences in church. And you have to take you have to know that you, when you go into church, you're meeting with people who are not perfect. They're still on their journey. And many are very early on their journey. But if you persevere with the church, and if the church functions as God intends, nothing nothing else on earth works quite like it. When submitted to God and serving together in true community, the church is a family that will surround people with strength and grace while continually pointing them towards the abundant life in Christ. The second truth, in the body of Christ, we grow healthier in our walk with God. You can grow spiritually on your own, but it's not nearly the greenhouse that being in the church can be. Community means everybody in the group has each other's back, and you're encouraged to grow and mature. And that communal expectation assumes we'll grow. It's like you've joined a, a team with clear expectations. And there's a synergy. A synergy. You know what synergy is? It's like, together, we're better. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says it this way, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Either of, if either of them falls down, no one can, or one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And you, it really is true. If you are in the church, you have a whole community of support. It's amazing what you have in the church. You know, years ago at the Calgary Stampede, they had a heavy horse pull. And two of the, uh, the winning horse pulled 9,000, just dragged 9,000 pounds of weight and the second, the runner-up horse, did 8,000 pounds. And the two owners of the horses got together afterwards and they said, you know, I wonder what it would be like if we harnessed our horses together. What would happen? Yours can do nine, mine does eight. You know, what, what would happen? So they did, and you know, nine plus eight, what would that be? 17,000 pounds. So they did it, 17,000 pounds. No, let's put more weight on, and more, and more. And they tried and tried and tried, and they found that together, these horses could drag 30,000 pounds. Because there's something about walking together that strengthens people. Here's the last one. In the body of Christ, we become a part of a movement larger than ourselves. Remember, Jesus said, this this body is meant to do greater things. It's meant to do greater things. You know, if you wake up in the morning focused on yourself and wondering why the world isn't making you happy, well, maybe you need to change that approach in life. Maybe you need to fill your mind with the greater things that God is doing in the world. Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church, this is Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why do we have confidence that the church will outlive and outlast everything else? Well, not just because it has, I mean, Roman Empire, a thousand years, not bad.